coming up on Weekend Review. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is just a game of political shenanigans. We are shooting ourselves in the foot. The reality is that hospitals are really struggling. The line goes around the block and around the block again. Everything happening at once is almost a perfect storm. Right now, there are almost no subs to go around. First word that kind of came to my mind was overwhelmed. Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. Good of you to join us. Definitely no shortage of news in Kansas City this week. The challenge, of course, is how do we fit it all in in the next 26 minutes? Well, we're going to try. Thanks, because on our journey with us, on the most impactful, confusing, and befuddling local stories of the week is Lisa Rodriguez from KCUR News, Dave Helling from your Kansas City Star, reporter and managing editor at The Call newspaper, Eric Wesson, and KMBC political correspondent, Michael Mahoney. Again, there's no shortage also of gloom and doom in our news. So can we start with some good news for a change? Big celebrations this week in the Kansas City, Missouri School District, 20 years after becoming the first school district in the nation to lose its state accreditation, They've earned it back. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Having lived through the nagging disappointment and frustration associated with the labels unaccredited or provisionally accredited, this moment is surreal. I do believe that over the last few years with the accreditation not being in place, that uh, it is a detriment to the, to the home values and home sales in Kansas City, Missouri. We celebrate now, we roll our sleeves up, and we got to get back to work. Well, just to put the story into context, in the year 2000, the LA Times ran a story on Kansas City schools being stripped of its state accreditation. With no improvements, they reported the district would be, quote, abolished, split up, or totally dissolved. And none of those things happened, Eric. We never had that doomsday scenario in Kansas City. Right. It never happened, but it was a challenging time with the laws coming in with the charter schools, the enrollments dropping. He's weathered the first part of the storm, but now the second part of the storm that he's got to weather, he's got to change the way they do business. 20 years ago, Lisa, there were 30,000 school students in the district. Today, it's around 14,000. But if you're a parent, of a, 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 a parent of a student in the district right now, what does this news mean this week to you? I mean, but what we heard in, in the montage of clips that you played, shedding the labels unaccredited or provisionally accredited is, is significant for a parent. That is one, if, if, that, if that was a barrier to enrolling your child in public school, that barrier is now gone. And if I already have kids in the district, I think that this is a sign that there has been some stability, that the district has shown years of steady improvement, that the school district has made inroads with, with civic leaders and is on an upward trajectory. So while, while they may not be home at the kitchen table discussing accredited versus unaccredited, I think this is a huge move for a parent. Mark Bedell is a big uh, part of this, Dave Helling, and I know the editorial board at the Star did a story talking about him now being the longest serving superintendent in 50 years in that district. He used to be this revolving door every other year or so, you'd have a new superintendent. What is the difference there? What, what is that, that change in ingredients that has got him to stay here that long? Part of it is uh, Dr. Bedell himself. I mean, I think he's 
clearly committed to the Kansas City School District and doesn't have the wanderlust, if you will, that other other superintendents have had in the past. And let's tip our caps to the school board as well. You remember 20, 25 years ago, it was highly dysfunctional and closed meetings and arguments. The school board seems to be much more functional now uh, and has supported Dr. Bedell in his endeavors. But, you know, test scores still remain low, lower than anyone would like. They've shown progress, but they're not where they need to be. Attendance is an issue. I know the board uh, and Dr. Bedell are talking about ways to extend the school day. And then, Nick, put COVID on top of all of it and remote learning and all the challenges that are involved in that. And you just, uh, you have a recipe for a very, very challenging situation. So this is good news, great news on accreditation, but there is other work to be done. And we are looking, by the way, also, Eric, this year of some quite large uh, school closings in Kansas City, Missouri, as a result of that declining enrollment. Yeah, and he's gonna have to make some tough decisions about that because it doesn't make sense to keep schools open and have utility bills uh, and you only have 200 students in an entire school and the school was built for 1500 students. But I just wanted to add one other thing to what Dave Helling said. Not only is he committed to Kansas City Public Schools, I think Dr. Bedell is committed to Kansas City. Uh, when he, you know, his kids have graduated from the school system here, they're in school and not like a lot of superintendents who moved here did the jobs, but they never moved their families here if they live someplace else. He's committed, you see him in church, you see him in the grocery store, I see him at the cleaners all the time. So I think the big difference with him was being committed to Kansas City. The other thing is one of the differences is that the school board now functions as a policy making board and they don't have their hands in tinkering on a daily basis with uh, uh, with the school district like they used to back in the past. Patronage was a huge problem in that in, in that district and the school board now takes a much more professional approach rather than making it their own little political fiefdom. Yeah. One other thing, uh, Nick. The next question that I have and the next question that the media should have is, will he stay here? <laughs> That's the question because superintendents around the country are becoming very high commodities because of COVID. A lot of them are leaving. A lot of them are doing a lot of things. So the question will be, will he remain here? He's, he's done this great thing. Now, will he stay here and will the uh, people in Kansas City embrace and encourage him to stay here. It's not how we wanted to start this new year, but COVID is still dominating our local news headlines. It remains the most unpredictable story of the week. Here's a snapshot of the week's pandemic-related headlines. The reality is that hospitals are really struggling with what we're seeing right now. Um, we have ICU uh, ICUs that are full. We have people that are having to delay getting care. Area hospitals feeling the squeeze, KU reporting the highest number of COVID hospitalizations since the pandemic began. And where are the medical workers? Nearly a thousand KU staffers sidelined due to the virus. School canceled entirely in the Bonner Springs School District, too many teachers and students sick. Three Johnson County cities taking matters into their own hands, Prairie Village, Mission and Roland Park all voting to reinstate citywide mask mandates. Getting a COVID test still a massive challenge. Some local testing sites reporting half-mile-long car lines. The line goes around the block and around the block again. The KU chancellor says mask up or else. Too many Jayhawk basketball fans ignoring mask rules. KU now considering limiting attendance at Allen Fieldhouse. 
And what to be a teacher? A pandemic staffing shortage prompting the Kansas Board of Education to drop college requirements for substitute teachers. Everything happening at once is almost a perfect storm. Right now, there are almost no subs to go around. First word that kind of came to my mind was overwhelmed. Alrighty, there are so many storylines here, it's hard to keep track. As one of the teachers just said, it is overwhelming. It's easy to tune out, of course. So in the interest of time, can I ask each of you, which of these headlines deserves more public attention, more closer scrutiny than it got this week, Lisa? Oh, man, that's, that's, that's a tough one, because we really are in a perfect storm here. But I think these staffing shortages, both at hospitals and with schools, potentially will will touch everyone's lives so many Kansas Cityans and it's not it goes beyond you know whether you want a mask mandate at school or whether there's a vaccine mandate at the hospital if you don't have an or whether the omicron variant is less severe than other variants if teachers aren't well enough to come to school and you don't have enough people running those schools then then those are going to trigger school closures anyway and that creates a headache for parents it creates a headache for schools themselves it's it just really is a mess the teachers though union in kansas hating this new uh, emergency measure because they're worried hey will this possibly become permanent if you can now just have somebody with a high school diploma becoming a substitute teacher it will devalue all teaching in kansas lisa right i think and i think that's a it's a legitimate concern you want someone teaching your children who has the experience and who who is a teacher you know as as a career and i think there are concerns that bringing someone in with a high school degree may not provide the value of education that you want for your kids but again this is not a normal time that we're living in we are truly in a moment of crisis the other thing that uh, this uh, lowering the bar on uh, sub teachers uh, is going to uh, reveal to itself is a lot of people that may want to step in for whatever reason are going to find out just how hard it is to be a teacher at any level and in any place. And Kansas is not the only state that is doing this. Other states around the Midwest are also either considering or have have done so. so Missouri um, already has, of course. You only need a high school diploma now to teach in Missouri schools. Just get a criminal background check. Well, I think we need to pay a lot of attention, Nick, to the impact of the new uh, variant on daycare centers and early childhood education. Remember, those kids are not eligible for vaccines, so their exposure to Omicron or other uh, other coronaviruses is uh, quite problematic. And of course, you've got a problem with staff and the daycare structure in our community is pretty uh, unstable anyway because of low pay and other concerns. People who work in daycare centers can make more money in other occupations. Uh, I have some uh, personal experience in this regard with my extended family and the choices that parents have to make in these circumstances are agonizing and difficult and in some cases dangerous. So I think we need to pay attention to the little ones as much as we do the kids in elementary and secondary education. Over in Kansas, Governor Laura Kelly was delivering what could be her last State of the State address this week. She's up for re-election in November in what some analysts claim is going to be a tough year for Democrats. Did you catch her speech from the State House? If you didn't, we've made it easy for you. In a fraction of a minute, here are five of Kelly's biggest applause lines. Just a few years ago, Kansas was making headlines for its budget mismanagement. I'm now proud to say that we have the largest budget surplus in the past 40 years. Every working Kansan who filed taxes in 2021 will get a $250 rebate this year, $500 for married couples filing jointly. 
We hereby eliminate the state sales tax on food in Kansas effective immediately. Today, I'm announcing that my budget includes a total freeze on college tuition increases. Medicaid expansion is something we can do right now. It's well past time. Let's get this done. Some of these messages from Kelly we'd heard from before from her, but what was the most surprising revelation in Kelly's speech for you, Michael? This was very much a campaign speech. I don't think anybody should be surprised that it was. Um, uh, governors in election years often use this really high-profile uh, uh, event for that. I, I actually listened to the speech three times. Yes, I did. And uh, one of the things <laughs> she says in there, which was interesting, is she worked with President Trump. She mentions his name. I worked with him while he was president. And another one was, we're going to give a lot more money to law enforcement, pay raises for state troopers. Now, for a Democrat, that's an interesting message. So does she think that the policing issue and, and certainly limiting funds for police isn't a winning issue for Democrats? And, and given the fact that... Uh... Trump won that state. I think that she is kind of going on the other side just to win some compassion and connect with that base on the other side. And and I agree with Mike. It, from what I listened to, I don't know how you listened to it three times, but for what I listened to, the first time was enough for me. And it was a basically a campaign speech. You got to get a life, Nick. <laughs> well, well, some people, Lisa, were surprised that she even had the speech there. Last year, she did a virtual speech because of COVID. Actually, I think there's three times as many COVID cases per day right now than there was last year. We have her calling for us, you know, an emergency in COVID in Kansas. Hospitals saying, you know, avoid big crowds and, and mask up. And yet she goes to a packed a chamber in the House of Representatives where mask wearing was actually optional for lawmakers. Was she sending mixed messages there by doing that, Lisa? I, I know the, the House Minority Leader mentioned that she was that she was sending mixed messages. At this point in the pandemic, I'm not sure that people are looking to the state of the state for their cues on whether to wear masks or not. Even the Johnson County Commission this week, Michael, going virtual, not doing in-person uh, meetings any longer, yet the governor there in person with a lot of lawmakers unmasked around her. Yeah, well, uh, politics is often optics, and some of the optics of this is that um, the Kelly administration and the governor will say that they have addressed and been as effective with uh, uh, dealing with COVID as uh, they possibly could be, and part of that would be showing up for a very high-profile speech a political speech, a campaign speech in an election year, and delivering the message in person. There's optics involved in that as well. Dave, we just mentioned, by the way, in that speech, you had Medicaid uh, expansion mentioned. We're talking about this $250 for uh, <laughs> every individual taxpayer in Kansas. There's even talk about medical marijuana. But this is an election year. Can you imagine the Republican lawmakers going uh, and moving forward and supporting her on any of those efforts? Well, not Medicaid expansion, Nick. Uh, but there may be other places where there can be agreement. You know, the biggest surprise for me of the speech was that the governor didn't wear a Santa Claus suit because she came with a bag of goodies to just hand out to everyone in the state a check to families no grocery sales tax food sales tax uh, tuition freezes at uh, major colleges and universities in the state money for the rainy day fund i mean the fact that kansas like most states we must say is flush with 
Cash gives her a lot of goodies to hand out, and it makes it very difficult for Republicans to say no. I mean, Republicans are in the position now of saying no to a $500 check to married couples. That's a difficult place to be in, which is why I think this legislative session will be dominated by things like critical race theory and, and uh, other sort of cultural issues. That's where I think Republicans think they'll be on firmer ground uh, with the electorate then on economic issues that the governor out. So Dave talks about vaccine mandates and uh, race theory being big topics uh, in this session, as they will be, by the way, in Jefferson City. We touched upon that last week. But how will this play out in practice? I was just reading through a new law that the state of Iowa passed that now prohibits any teaching that makes a student, quote, feel discomfort or guilt because of one's race. How would teachers in Kansas and Missouri navigate around a law like that, Eric? It would be difficult because uh, it's history, and I don't know how you dance around history not to hurt somebody's feelings. I, it's just, it's kind of mind-boggling to, to me because these things happen, and you can't pretend that they didn't just because somebody's feelings might be hurt. Even with, I, I no, yeah, even with no bill or law passing at this point in Kansas or Missouri, Lisa, will this have a chilling effect, though, already on educators in Kansas and Missouri about touching uh, racial questions in the classroom? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think, and I think we've already seen that in increased parent efforts to remove books from shelves that people find... Um, insulting or that people simply don't agree with. And, and the idea that a library is a place where you can get books on all on all manner of topics is that that is fading. To that point, um, watch these parent bill of rights measures that come up in Kansas and Missouri and in other states uh, for, for that matter, because that is where the battleground is going to be in terms of what gets taught or what gets sanctioned to be taught uh, in uh, in our cla uh, classrooms. These parental bills of rights are gonna get some uh, traction in both these legislatures. Go back to November. This is the sort of thing that Republicans used quite effectively in Virginia to win that governorship. Yes, and that's why uh, Derek Schmidt uh, is probably still the favorite for re-election in November. I didn't want to skirt the marijuana issue. Th uh, Kansas is just one of three states that has done absolutely nothing to liberalize its marijuana laws, Dave. Uh, is that a, a possibility this year that you will see medical marijuana? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it will be discussed, but I just don't think there's the enthusiasm in the Republican supermajorities for approaching this question. Over in the Missouri legislature this week, lawmakers were holding hearings on a new bill that would require Kansas City to increase the amount of money it gives to its police department. And there was lots of familiar faces who made the trip to Jefferson City to testify. We've seen a retraction of some of the funds that we've had in the past. Since I've been chief, the highest number of officers we've had is about 1,387. Today, we stand at just over 1,160. The bill draws a line in the sand, saying no less than 25% of all city revenue, including taxes and fees, will go to KCPD. Right now, it's 20%. Last year, we had the highest number of homicides on record in a single year. At this critical juncture, we need to be making sure that we are supporting our law enforcement enforcement officers, not defunding them to the tune of over $40 million, which is what the city council did back in May. This is just a game of political shenanigans. And not just political shenanigans. The mayor claimed the bill would defund the Kansas City Fire Department, defund KCI Airport. Is that really the case? 
Or, Lisa, is he just trying to make a more sensational point here that if more money has to go to the police, there's going to be less cash on hand for firefighters and running the airport? I, I think that's exactly it. If more money has to go to police, that money has to come from somewhere. But I'm not sure directly. I, I think saying Kansas City Fire Department and KCI probably feel like the most painful places to lose money. But, but we're also, um, I mean, a 5% increase in the police budget is a massive amount of, of Kansas City's budget. So I do think that there would be real strain there um, for other parts of the budget and other basic services for Kansas Cityans. But he could have said, other than the getting defunding uh, the fire department, Eric, or defunding the airport, that you know this may mean we won't have city administrators anymore earning more than $100,000 a year, or we can't have any more bike lanes in Kansas City. He picked those very specific topics, didn't he, for, for the most effect? Yes, and that was a part of his political stance as well. But look, you know, I was I was waiting on somebody to kind of challenge some of the things that Rick Smith said, for example, uh, with the $42 million and, and the uh, state representative or state senator that is introducing the bill. But when you had the money, you were using it for, instead of pay, hiring officers to pay lawsuits. You were using money for other things, so you had the money, but what were you doing with it? And that's the question that everybody always avoids when they're asking for more money. What do you do with the money you had? A lot of these arguments have already been fleshed out in so many other places, Michael. Did we learn anything new at all from the hearings in Jefferson City this week on that police budget issue? Next week, they're going to pass this bill out and send it on to the uh, Senate. There's going to be a lot of support in Jefferson City uh, to increase this to do two things. Number one, poke a finger in the eye of Quentin Lucas and poke a finger in the eye of everybody that uh, uses the phrase defund the police. But there was something else you reported, Michael, which I thought was interesting, that the mayor didn't even talk to the police chief about this. Was it a voicemail or an email? That was the only thing he ever heard about it? Yeah, this is uh, from uh, uh, Rick Smith's testimony when he was down there. He said that he, um, he became aware of this plan to shift the 42 million uh, away from direct control of the cops in, uh, over to City Hall in a voicemail while he was out of town. And uh, I hadn't heard that before. Um, there's been a lot of complaints about how the process on this was conducted, and this is another piece of that. So it says that this was a very fractured relationship that's a lot deeper than we might have imagined even uh, already up until this point. Dave? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, and Nick, one of the things we need to pay attention to here is that the Luke Kamire bill not only raises the percentage from 20% to 25%, but it broadens the tax funds that yeah. can be used to calculate that 25%. That's why the mayor suggests that the cost could be $400 million or so, because it adds other things into general revenue that are not counted now. So it's 25% of a much bigger number. That's why this is so important. And the other thing to throw in quickly is the Hancock implications are still there. You still need to change the Missouri Constitution to accomplish this. That cannot be done for this budget cycle. So the real uh, story will unfold over the next several weeks down at City Hall. In half an hour, we can't get to every big story making the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? The road to the Super Bowl finally winds through Kansas City as the Chiefs take on the Steelers in the wildcard game. Is the age of civility dead? This is a huge issue. You are getting amazingly wrong information. 
Dr. Fauci overheard calling Kansas Senator Roger Marshall a moron. What a moron. Restaurant week returns amid a surge in virus cases and crippling staff shortages. Is it just the start of a new round of business closings? Victoria's Secret closes on the plaza, Macy's shuts down in Lee Summit, and J. Crew calls it quits in Town Center Plaza. Struggling to find daycare for your kids? A Kansas City Chamber report finds 40% of childcare businesses in the metro have closed since the pandemic began. And it's official. It was the warmest December in Kansas and Missouri since records began back in 1895. It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, it feels like uh, Destin, Florida. Alrighty, Lisa Rodriguez, did you pick one of those stories or did you pick something completely different? picked a story, a move by the Jackson County Legislature, an attempt by the Jackson County Legislature to restore some powers to the health department. This, of course, in response to a judge's ruling that, that stripped powers from local health departments to issue mask mandates in, in emergencies. And uh, it was an attempt to get around that. And then following a pushback from the Attorney General in Missouri, Eric Schmidt, and um, some threats uh, threats to these legislators' safety on Wednesday night. Those legislators decided to pull that ordinance back. And I think it is just another example of the, the fractured political times that we live in that are that death threats and threats of violence are coming from, from simple procedural moves. Michael. Uh, I believe it was Shakespeare that said, beware of the hot microphone. And uh, <laughs> that was uh, certainly uh, in play in the uh, testimony of uh, Anthony Fauci and the uh, and the back and forth with Roger Marshall. Wasn't surprised, but you know the hot mic was interesting. Eric, Mike Mahoney was in my head. That's the one I selected as well. Calling him uh, a moron was like state of the art <laughs> to make sure your mic is turned off. <laughs> Dave. Yeah, that's the first lesson they teach you in television, by the way, is the mic is always hot. So remember that. Um, I thought the most underreported story or something we need to pay attention to, uh, Nick, is the severance package put together for outgoing uh, Wyandotte County KCK Administrator Douglas Bach. $800,000 in various uh, payments uh, to, to the former administrator. That is a lot of money. It's almost equal probably to what Mike Mahoney got when he left Channel 9. So, uh, you know, we have to pay attention, I guess, to that story. I have to say, <laughs> this is probably the very first show I've ever done where we had Santa Claus and Shakespeare in the same show. <laughs> and on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Thanks to KCUR's Lisa Rodriguez, the star's Dave Helling, Channel 9's Michael Mahoney, and always on call from the Kansas City Call, Eric Wesson. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City. PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.